0: Alrighty, everyone, welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and also just talk about filmmaking. So, before we get into today's questions, I do want to give a really big shout out to all of my patrons. I really can't say enough how much I appreciate all of you. So, from the top, we have Tiff Tate, uh, Madi Najad, the Vagabond photographer, Ben LeBron, Alex Miner, Tapo Mester, Roberto Rivera, Andy Mulcaster, Tony Sellium, Chris Lawrence, Will Mon, uh, Greg Rourkes, sorry, that one's really tough to pronounce, Lizzie ASMR, Christian Stenner, Yusuke Oyama, Matthew Way, Jamie Lawrence, Oscar Arseniega, Sun Valley Drive Music, Dylan Dykes, and Joel Kimball. Thank you all so much for supporting me on Patreon, and if you would like to join them, there'll be a link in the show notes below. But again, no pressure, but... If you do join me on Patreon, you'll get your questions answered first on this podcast and you'll get a little bit of a shout out because I'll read the name next to the question, which I only do for my patrons. So in February, we got some really good questions and I'm stoked to dive into them. So let's start, of course, with our patrons. The first question is from Chris Lawrence. What has been the biggest influence on your style and process? Would you ever consider creating a course teaching your process? I feel like I covered this in one of the more recent podcasts, but I think that a lot of like my filmmaking style comes from watching skate videos. But if you're talking about like my filmmaking style on YouTube. I think that's something that just kind of has evolved naturally and just how I get better at the whole YouTube thing. And there's probably some influences from other YouTubers that I probably don't even realize, but I think that's something that just kind of evolves as you get better at YouTube and filmmaking. If you look at like my videos from even a year or two years ago, they look way different. And the whole vibe of those videos is a little bit more, I don't know, it's just, it's not as clean as my videos are now. So I feel like that's something to be stoked on though. Like if you can look back at your old videos and you can tell that they look worse, then that means that you're doing something right. So next question, I have a few of them again from Tony Celium. I really hope I'm pronouncing your name right. So the first question Tony is asking about shooting indoors with micro four thirds cameras. And Tony says that he's using lighting and He tries to use the lowest f-stop, and he tries to stay below 3200 ISO. And this has been doing portrait stills and videos and the question is anecdotally are cameras and lenses really light thirsty compared to the naked eye or am i doing something fundamentally wrong some cameras are actually better at low light than the human eye mainly the sony a7s series typically those cameras can see better in low light than even the human eye can but if you're using a micro four-thirds camera which i'm pretty sure you are because i think you use the panasonic g9 that camera i mean micro four-thirds cameras in general aren't great in low light i think the best micro four-thirds camera is the GH5S. So if you are shooting in very low light conditions, you're probably not going to get the best image. Even if you are using some lamps, uh, you'll probably need some pretty high powered ones in order to get like proper exposure. So if your lights aren't super bright, then I would suggest getting brighter lights. I use the the Godox ML60, and that's a small light, but it's pretty bright. It's, I think it's almost as bright as the Aperture 120D. But yeah, I would just either say get brighter lights or faster lenses, because sometimes even a 1.4 lens won't be quite bright enough in super low light conditions. So I hope that helps. And he asks again. I shot some outdoor evening cityscapes. Lumix G9. I was using manual lenses, vintage and anamorphic, so the camera wasn't able to help. In some areas, are there techniques to know what setting to use to keep your ISO reasonable, leveraging the aperture and depth of field, or just bracket and hope for the best? Yeah, honestly, I'm not too sure. This is, I think, more to do with photography. I feel like if you're shooting raw, then it's pretty easy to clean up ISO noise. If you're shooting video, that's kind of a different story. What uh, one thing that I do is sometimes I'll just put the lens cap on my lens and then shoot just, you know, super black video uh, at each ISO and just see which one is cleaner by raising the exposure in my editing system. So that's how you can kind of tell which ISO is cleaner. Typically on most cameras, it's not like the in-between ISOs, but it's like the 200, 400, 800, those are usually a lot cleaner than the ones in between. So you can just you know, do some tests with the G9 and see which ISO is cleanest, if you're talking about video. Uh, Tony also asks, watching lots of YouTube videos, I see experts talking about things like noise and chromatic aberration. Many times I'm simply not seeing what they're showing. Is it a skill refined eye situation these experts have acquired, or am I going blind? <laughs> no, I think that unless you know what to look for, you probably aren't going to notice it. I had an old Olympus 50mm f1.8, like vintage lens, and that suffered from really bad chromatic aberration. And if you look, basically you have to look where everything is really backlit. So if you look at the outline of a subject that's backlit by the sun or by any light, really, you'll see this small little purple fringing, almost like it's a purple color traced around the super high contrast areas of a subject. So you really have to look kind of close. Sometimes it's not even noticeable, but on older lenses or cheaper lenses, it can be pretty noticeable if you know what to look for. Last question from Tony is, I have some pictures taken with the Panasonic Leica f2.8-4 to lens. The EXIF data sometimes is reporting accurately and sometimes it's reporting f8. What gives? That just might be a problem with whatever program you're using to read the EXIF data. I think this is referring to shooting photos and I'm just, I'm not, huge photographer I mean when I shoot stuff it's I mean I just shoot in raw and don't even look at the XF data so yeah that might just be it might just be a glitch in whatever program you're using Joel Kimball asks what settings do you use when filming skateboarding do you stick to wide open 24 frames per second one fiftieth of a shutter I find myself shooting higher shutter speeds when I don't have an ND and I can't really see the difference yeah. So I think when you're shooting skateboarding, it's not meant to look cinematic. Skate videos and cinematic videos look very different. And typically when I'm shoot skateboarding, if I'm shooting stuff in 60 frames per second, then I'll keep the shutter speed higher because when I slow it down, that's just going to meet a sharper image because there's not going to be as much motion blur. I do still like to keep the 180 degree shutter angle if I can, when I'm just shooting like a normal frame rate, like 24 or 30, but that's just because that's like the filmmaker and me coming out and I want it to look a little bit more cinematic but honestly if you're shooting skate videos and you know you're shooting at higher frame rates most skateboarders aren't going to notice or care the only people that are ever going to notice is other filmmakers when they see the motion blur being a little bit too choppy so I think that you're totally fine going with higher shutter speeds if you're filming skateboarding. Tiff D. Tate. Tiff has been a longtime patron of my channel, and Tiff asks, besides a ridiculously professional camera along the lines of a RED, if someone was giving you the choice of a mirrorless slash full frame video camera along with choosing two lenses, what would it be? This could have 1 to 3 answers. 1 for photography, 2 for video, 3 for both photography and video. So, if I was having one camera for photography, honestly, it would be a split between the Fujifilm Gx 100S or the newest Fuji X100 camera. Honestly, I'd probably pick an X100 camera like the x 104 or whatever because I really like that camera and it's just nostalgic for me and those are amazing photo cameras. For video, if I could just choose one camera to shoot with, I think that the original Blackmagic Pocket camera, the 1080p one, I think that counts because it's not technically a, I mean, it's a cinema camera, but it's not like a RED. Uh, I really like how that sensor looks. If I was going to shoot with just that camera, I would like rig it out with a Metabones speed booster and a Sigma 18-35 and I'd get the IR cut filter in there. I just really like how that camera looks and even though it's probably not the most, uh, popular answer. That's probably one that I would choose if I was just choosing a video camera. And yes, I know that the 4K is better, but I liked how the original one looks. And then one for photography and video, you know, probably the a7S III. I think that camera is pretty sick and The footage that I see people get out of it just looks amazing. So if I was going to pick a photography and video camera, then that's the one that I would choose. All right. Well, that's all of them from the Patreon. Thank you so much to my patrons for asking those questions. And now let's get into the YouTube community page. All right. Sort by newest. Just so you guys know, I don't like read these questions and like have written out answers beforehand. I like to read them and answer them on the podcast so that it doesn't seem fake. (laughs) If you decided to buy one really expensive Micro Four Thirds camera, which camera would you wanna buy? Also, love the channel and would be super down to do a collab in the future. My wife and I have been wanting to visit Oregon for a long time. (laughs) If I could pick one Micro Four Thirds camera to buy, honestly, like I think the easy answer would be either the Panasonic GH6 or the new Olympus OM-1 camera. Those just got announced today, I believe, and, the well, the, Olympus did. The, we're still waiting on the GH6, but yeah, both of those cameras are pretty sick. And as for collaborations, yeah, I mean, I'm always down to meet up and possibly do something, but I won't be living in Oregon for very much longer. <laughs> Could you do a breakdown of what you look for in ND filters and how to know what you need? I guess there's a lot of different things that you might look for in an ND filter. Some people with lower resolution cameras might want the ND filter that's going to degrade the image the least, while people with higher resolution cameras might want one that maybe softens the image a little bit. You might want a two to five stop and a six to nine stop for maximum like ND quality, or you might go for like the Tiffin variable ND, which has a much larger range of ND. I guess it just depends on what lens you're shooting with. So if you're shooting with like a Sigma 18 to 35 and you wanna keep it wide open at 1.8, then you might need a variable ND filter that has a larger range, like a six to eight or a six to nine stop ND especially if you're shooting out in like the super bright sunlight. I typically, I like, I've used a lot of different ND filters and I really like the ones by Nissi. Nissi has some really high quality ND filters. I have one by Tiffin and I really like the Freewell variable ND filters. I just did a video on those. So if you want to check that out, then you can go to my latest videos. Do you still use your Lumix G6? No, I have not used that camera in a really long time, but it was a fun one to use. Are you buying the GH6? No, I'm not. Unless Panasonic wants to send it to me, I probably won't get my hands on that camera for a while because even though it's super cool and probably has a lot of really cool features, I don't need it and I'm not going to spend money on stuff that I don't need. Have you ever used Google Ads to help grow your YouTube channel? If so, what were your results? Nope, never use Google ads and don't ever plan to. What's your highest earnings for ad revenue? Hopefully not too personal. No, my highest revenue for ad revenue, I think was in like 2020, uh, back when my channel was really blowing up. I think that month, I I don't know, it was like near two grand for ad revenue. But again, if you're thinking that ad revenue is gonna like pay your rent, it's really not. Like that was an anomaly for ad revenue. Usually it's a lot lower. And when you're a YouTuber, you have to figure out how to make money, not just from ad revenue. So you need. You need ad revenue, you need affiliate marketing, you need sponsors, you need selling digital products. You need all that stuff in order to actually make it as a full-time YouTuber. At least I do. <laughs> if you're someone like Mr. Beast, you can probably live off your ad revenue. Do you ever have color grading issues after you upload your video? For example, I color grade on my laptop using Premiere Pro and it looks darker after I upload it. Yeah, you probably need to calibrate your monitor on your laptop to make sure that you're actually seeing... Accurate colors. You need to also make sure that whatever timeline or workspace you're working inside of Premiere is like Rec. 709 and not like Rec. 2020 or something like that. And also in Premiere, once you export something, especially in MP4, it will kind of wash out all your colors and your grade. So you have to apply this finishing LUT to your export in order for it to be the colors that you initially graded. Uh, I think Manny Hapoya has a whole video on that if you want to go check it out. Who would you want to collaborate with on YouTube if you had a chance? I don't know. I mean... It'd be cool to collaborate with like Dave Mays. He's a buddy of mine or I don't know, maybe the dudes from Film Riot. They seem pretty funny. Who inspired you to create YouTube videos? Was it another creator? Not really. I'm going to sound pretty old here, but I've been on YouTube way before any of like the big creators like Matty Hapoya or Peter McKinnon even started. I've, first got on YouTube and created an account in 2006. And so the people that inspired me were skate filmers, not really YouTube creators. I see that most of your videos are shorter, under 10 minutes. Do you think short videos are better for YouTube? How do you manage your video? Do you make a scenario or do you almost improvise? No, I don't improvise anymore. I used to just kind of just talk off the cuff, but now I make little bullet points in my notes app on my phone. I never make a script, but I always try to keep bullet points on the stuff that I want to talk about. And as far as my video length, I just make the videos as long as they need to be. I really... I'm always turned off by people who like arbitrarily make the videos longer than they need to be just to get past that eight minute mark. And for those of you who don't know, once you're past eight minutes, you can put mid-roll ads, which makes you a little bit more money. But sometimes it can really hurt your view, your, your view duration if people just click off the video because they don't like seeing the ad. So I just say make the videos as long as they need to be. YouTube filmmakers that you follow or worth checking out. Uh, yeah, I follow a lot of cinematographer filmmakers on YouTube. I won't shout out any of the ones that already have like thousands and thousands of followers, but as far as like the smaller uh, channels, a few that come to mind are Matt Atia. Uh, he's got some really good like uh, cinematography videos and Janio or Janio. Uh His YouTube channels is J-A-N-I-O. Uh, he's got some Really good stuff, and even though this guy is a little more popular, Lewis Potts is a really good cinematographer that I love. I love watching his videos. Film cameras have been surging in popularity for the past few years. Have you had any experience with them? And if not, do you have any desire to get into film photography? Yeah, I've seen that too. Like there's so many channels that are starting that are just showing off film cameras. And I'm not trying to like hate on them at all, but like honestly, it all seems like the same type of content. Uh, The film photographers that I really like are like the OGs, like uh, Matt Day and Grainy Days. As for whether I'm gonna get into it. I mean, I have a, a film camera. I have a little Olympus Trip 35. So it's like a 35 millimeter focal length and it's just like a little point and shoot camera. So that's always kind of fun, but I'm not like super into it. What's the most underrated skill a storyteller should have? I feel like a really underrated skill is editing efficiently. And I think that's something that I'm still trying to learn and I watch a lot of Hayden Hilliard Smith's videos because he's brilliant at storytelling and he kind of shows you how you can pull it off better in the edit. So I think that's something that's pretty important. First off, thank you for doing so much content. I have a GH3 and the Falcon Eyes RX-8T light and the Umbrella. The light is outstanding. By your suggestion on your channel, I do Zoom calls and it's so nice. Do you think you can share how you would do a live stream? Basically, how I would do a live stream is the same way that I would light a YouTube video. So the only thing that would change is I would plug my camera into a HDMI capture device and just do it that way. I might like position everything towards my computer if I was doing live streams, but... Yeah, my live stream setup would essentially be the same as my YouTube setup. How do you control the feeling that your gear is not good enough and that you need to get the latest and greatest gear to have good results, even when you don't use it much because you think it isn't good enough? Love your content, bro. Thank you. I actually did an episode like a podcast episode on this exact subject, episode three. So if you want to go check that out, I, I talk about gas gear acquisition syndrome and my mindset on that. But yeah, I mean, I would just say, again, go and shoot stuff with the stuff that you have. And if your stuff doesn't look good, it's probably not the gears fault. It's probably because you don't have enough experience yet using that gear. So the best way to get better at something is just to keep on doing it. So that's what I would suggest. Can I make professional videos for clients just by using the SL2 and some lenses? Absolutely. I actually just shot a little video with a Canon T7. I was borrowing it from my brother. It's like a really cheap Rebel DSLR and I got some great results out of that thing. I was really surprised. And the SL2 is probably the same type of sensor. I think it even has, I think the SL2 has dual pixel autofocus. I mean, you get that camera with the Sigma 18-35, to slap it on there, you can make some great stuff. So yes, you can create professional videos with that camera. What ISO do you use on your Panasonic G6? I use auto white balance and auto ISO. Well, first of all, don't use auto white balance and auto ISO unless you really need to. The only situation I could ever think of using auto white balance and auto ISO would be like a vlog situation if you're moving from like indoors to outdoors. But yeah, set everything manually. Shoot at the lowest ISO with the G6. I'm pretty sure that's either 100 or 200. Typically on those older Panasonic cameras, the lower ISO is the native ISO. So that's gonna give you the cleanest image. What three or two or four experiences do you remember that were important in your videography and photography development? By experiences, I don't mean new equipment per se, but memorable shoot when you felt like you learned something and what was it you learned or an important mistake you learned from. I'm thinking that if you share this, then others might try to replicate a similar situation and learn themselves. Yeah, so I think I have two. The first one was when I first started to learn how to film skateboarding. I was kind of frustrated because my videos didn't look like the skate videos that I was watching. And my buddy Darren, he gave me some advice. I was filming Fisheye, and what I was doing was I was following the skater all throughout the entire motion of the trick like I would have them framed in the middle of the shot before they got to the obstacle in the middle of the shot as they did the trick on the obstacle and then I would keep following them as they left and I kept on wondering like why my stuff didn't look like skate videos and it's because I wasn't following the rule of thirds which in skateboarding is different than in like most filmmaking situations whereas in skateboarding or in any action sports filmmaking you want the subject to enter in one third of the frame climax with a trick happen in the middle and then make sure that they leave on the other third of the frame. And that's what the rule of thirds is and that's what helps create a little bit of a quicker action as opposed to a slower looking action. And once my buddy told me that I was like, "Oh, now my videos look way better and that was kind of like a a light bulb moment for me. The second thing is if you're doing a professional shoot you definitely need to be monitoring your video properly and sometimes just looking at the LCD screen is not a good representation of what your video is actually going to look like when you bring it back into the editing software. I remember I shot this client video and I thought that it was exposed properly and I get it into the editor and it's super noisy and it's because I didn't realize that my ISO was up too high. It was just super grainy And I'm sure if I had like a big bright monitor, I could have avoided that whole situation. And I had to like throw some noise reduction on it and it just didn't look as good as it could have. So if you're doing a professional production, get a good monitor that has false color or something like that that you can help judge exposure better. Hi, Nigel. Are you doing filmmaking as a profession for clients? I mean, and not only for YouTube, would you consider the EM1 Mark II or Mark III as a viable professional rig for quick commercials or marketing videos? If you're not considering budget while staying with a micro four third system, which camera would you buy for professional usage? This is similar to one of the first questions, but I do do professional or you know client work, but I wouldn't say that I do it enough to call myself like a freelancer anymore. So my main thing is YouTube, but I'd be lying if I said that I didn't do any client work because I do, it's just very sparse. And I use the EM1 Mark II. So that kind of answers that question. But if I was going to choose any Micro Four Thirds camera, I would choose the latest and greatest one if money was no object. So the the new EM1 or the GH6. And this is the last question. How do you upscale the Panasonic GH3 footage when you had it? I'm trying to save on card space with my G7. Also, how would you make money as a filmmaker teen? Is it possible? Okay, so for the first question, it's pretty easy. For my GH3, I just I worked in a 1080p timeline, but then when I exported, I just put it into a 4K timeline and made sure that I had scale to fit selected. So my 1080p would be scaled up to 4K. And then that's how I got a 4K upload. That's how I upscale stuff in Premiere. It's pretty simple and I think you can do it in most uh, video editors the same way. And as for making money as a teen filmmaker, I guess it really just depends on what your skill level is. If you're brand new to filmmaking and your stuff doesn't look super high end, it might be kind of hard for you to get your foot in the door when it comes to like making money and you know getting clients as a teen filmmaker but if I was a teen again I would just try to volunteer my time with more experienced filmmakers and hopefully get experience that way and that's how I would try to make money or just try to get better at my craft so that I could make money because it doesn't matter if you're 15 or you're 35 if you're not good at what you do you're not going to make money at it so you need to have some level of skill in order to profit from what you're trying to do so when I was a freelancer if my stuff didn't look good then people wouldn't have hired me so that's just what I would say is worry less I guess about trying to make money and worry more about how you can get yourself to the point where people are going to pay you for what you do anyways that is all I have for this month's podcast thank you so much for everyone who sent in a question and yeah I have some more ideas for podcasts in the future please like and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on thank you so much for stopping by and listening and I'll catch you all next time all right later